You're absolutely welcome. Come on up here. No takers? <laughs> come on. Yeah, you're welcome. You can come on up here. Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Poetry Pals. Is everybody doing great this morning? Mm-hmm. Kind of unconvincing, but all right. I'll give you a little bit of room for that one. Let's pray together, and then we're going to talk about Jesus. How's that sound? Great. All right. Jesus, we love you, and we just thank you for the gift of this morning. We thank you for these kiddos. We thank you for parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, whoever it was that got them here, just like the story in the Gospels where the friends brought their friend that was paralyzed, and they lowered him down through the roof just so that he could be near Jesus. And Jesus did a miracle, saw their faith, and blessed that man, and he was able to walk. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift of today. I pray, Lord, that through the teaching and the preaching of the word, that hearts would be changed, people would be moved from death to life, and that we would truly abandon unto you, Lord Jesus. We love you, and all God's people said, amen. Well, um, do y'all know what passage of Scripture we've been studying for the last few weeks? If you're, no, if you're new, you won't know that, but if you've been here for a while, if anybody other than Connor, anybody know, he's kind of, he's got a little bit of an advantage. Anybody remember what passage? We were talking about those broken pieces of glass and how they were found and they were cleaned up and they were reformed and reshaped into that beautiful lamp, all those pieces, and that was just a beautiful picture of redemption, right? That was a beautiful picture. That was from Ephesians 2.10. But what's the, does anybody know, and maybe the adults can help us, what's the passage of Scripture that Pastor Kevin's been preaching on for the last several weeks? Psalm 107, very good. Everybody gets a gold star. Awesome. Well, I want to talk just really quick today. I'm not going to make poetry pals very long. I'm just going to talk real quick today about this idea of poetry. Do you all know what poetry is? Has anyone ever heard a poem? Nobody's ever heard a poem? Everybody? Some people? Well, a poem is kind of like fun little playful words, and sometimes in a poem, the words don't really mean what the words mean. Is that confusing? In a poem, sometimes the words don't mean what the word means. Sometimes the words are used to paint pictures. And so this isn't a poem that I wrote. This is a poem that a lady named Tara Kunesh, I don't know her, but I found her poem, and I didn't want you guys to think that I wrote it. But this is a lady that this lady Tara wrote, and I want you to listen to this poem, and I want you at the end to think about what is it that she's talking about. Here's the poem. Oh, beautiful mountains of white and pink, you are peaks soaring tall. Lovely scarlet rivers, a multicolored waterfall. Upon those mountains high, bright and vibrant shoots scattered like ruby gems, tiny, tasty fruits. What is this I see? 
the mountains now receding, the sugary rivers flowing swiftly are quickly disappearing. And now there's nothing left of the mountains or those streams but a tiny pool of pinkish goo. Oh, how I love to eat ice cream. <laughs> that poem was titled Strawberry Sunday. And what do you think that poem's about? It's about ice cream. So when she talks about mountains, is she really talking about mountains? Like, you know, the kind that you put all your gear on and you'd climb up to the top. What was she talking about? What kind of ice cream? Like big old clumps of ice cream, right? So when she says mountains, she doesn't really mean mountains. When she says ruby gems, she's not really talking about ruby gems. There's strawberries on, in the ice cream, or maybe sometimes you seem like a cherry on top, so it could be either one of those. But it paints a picture in your mind, and sometimes what happens is that when we're reading poetry in the Bible, we forget that. We forget that the words don't always mean what the words mean. Poetry is supposed to paint a beautiful picture. See, if I was just to tell you guys instead of a poem, if I just said... She opened up the refrigerator and scooped out some ice cream and ate it, the end. Would that have been as exciting as reading this poem that painted this picture and at the end you're, oh, mom, dad, when you get back to your chair, you're going to say, can we go and get some ice cream after church, right? It makes you want some ice cream. It did me anyway. Well, in Psalm 107, the part that Pastor Kevin's going to be talking about in the sermon to the big kids is I'm going to be talking about this word, and the word is iron. Do you all know what iron is? Anybody know what iron is? It's a type of metal, and iron is very, very hard. And I'd pass this around and let you guys touch it, but because of this whole COVID thing, we can't do that. But I couldn't bend this if I wanted to. It's made out of iron. And it's super strong. But iron in the poem, in the psalm, which is a poem that's set to music and you sing it, right? That's what a psalm is. It's a song, but it's poetry. It doesn't just mean iron. Did you know that? He knew that already. He knew that. I'm going to let you preach today, okay? He already knew that. It doesn't just mean iron. It means something more than that. And I want you to think as you're listening during the sermon that what iron really means is something bigger than that. It actually means the pursuit of technology. It's the pursuit of something that makes your life better, right? When you guys are sitting there like Liam's kind of doing that, he's like, I don't know what he means. Can you guys tell me about maybe something that you asked for for Christmas last year? Anybody remember? Maybe in the last couple of years? What did you ask for? A tiger, like a real one? That's pretty scary. Come on, just say it. You don't have to raise your hands. Just say it. A hug. A Nintendo Switch. And a Nintendo Switch requires what? It, it is technology. It requires electricity. But you know what? Years ago, 
years and years and years ago, when I was a little kid, right after the earth's crust cooled, What I wanted was something that was a toy that now today it's like it's in a garbage heap somewhere. And then when I got older, I wanted different toys and those ended up in a garbage heap somewhere. And then when I got older and I didn't have to ask my parents for toys anymore, I still got lots of toys, but I bought them myself. And I bought a PlayStation 1 and then I bought a PlayStation 2 and then I bought a PlayStation 3. And you know where they all ended up? They all ended up in the garbage. So when we chase after iron technology, you see this little phone right here? There was a time when this little iPhone, this was the latest and the greatest thing. There were people standing in lines, cutting in front of one another, elbowing, people fighting in the streets because they wanted to be the next person to get their hands on technology, on the latest and the greatest And what happens is that when we pursue technology, iron, instead of pursuing our relationship with God, you know what ends up happening? You guys have any idea? When this becomes the most important thing, we end up in darkness and gloom. So that's why the title of the sermon, the series that we've been doing for the last several weeks, has been Abandon unto Yahweh, abandon unto Yahweh. That means to give him our everything, that we dive in 100%. Instead of chasing after things, they're going to end up in piles of trash and in landfills and garbage that in five years and in 10 years, you're not even going to remember. But you know what? Psalm 107 tells us that God, Yahweh's, his covenant fidelity, his kessed love, that it is everlasting. Doesn't that sound cool? Wouldn't you like to have a piece of something that is everlasting? You can. That's why Jesus went to the cross and died for us. So that we not just get a piece, we get the whole thing. Amen? Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing, okay? Jesus, we love you. We pray that you would turn our hearts away from the pursuit of anything and everything that isn't you. That you would stop our hearts from chasing after iron, technology, the greatest, the biggest, the brightest, the fastest, the lightest, and anything that isn't you, Lord. Bless us with that gift of faith. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to call out and to sing, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to get as close as I can to y'all, so I'm going to get this right up to the edge. Hopefully I don't fall over. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to poetry. Nothing? Welcome to poetry. You're welcome. Glad to have all of you. We've got some new faces, kind of an excited crowd. Y'all were singing like incredibly well this morning. Exciting. Let's pray together and let's dive into God's word. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for the gift, not just of today, but the gift that is you, our redemption, our salvation, our deliverance in and through you, the exclusive, unique, 
only way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I love you so much. I'm so thankful that you've given us the word in the written form and that you are the eternal word, that you are God the Son who stepped down from heaven incarnate, taking on flesh, allowing yourself to be born in a lowly manger, going to a cross, pierced for our iniquities, crushed for our transgressions, and the punishment that you took upon yourself is that which brought us peace. May the words of our hearts, the songs from our lips, may all be glorious and praiseworthy unto you. Thank you for your spirit, for redeeming all these things. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 107, we're still there. If you're new, I'd encourage you to go to our website, and this is the fourth part, as it says up there on the slide, part four. And there's so much that we've covered in those first three parts that you're going to miss if you don't go back. I'm going to try to catch us up a little bit, but there's so much. I can't cram three hours worth of sermons into this and cover new stuff, so you're going to miss it. I really would love for you to go back, but here's the quick recap. Psalm 107, that first word of that first verse is yada, and it doesn't mean give thanks, even though your Bible probably says that. It doesn't mean give praise. It means abandon, and if you're saying, well, how come you're changing what my Bible says, pastor? Go back and listen to the message. Go back and listen to that first message, and if you come up with a different conclusion, that's okay. Yada, abandon. It's not a good word or a bad word, it's just a word. It's just a word. See, because you can do things that when you abandon, if you abandon a baby, that's a bad thing. You don't want to abandon a baby. You don't abandon. You could abandon yourself to getting totally jacked in fitness and start taking steroids and growth hormones and other things, and you could damage your body in the pursuit of fitness. And abandoning, in that sense, isn't a good thing. You could abandon yourself unto a career as a student, as a professional. You could abandon yourself into a relationship other than the one that is Christ, our Lord Jesus, Yahweh. And you get lost in that relationship, and it becomes a thing that identifies you. That's what your identity is in. You become codependent, and you're lost, abandoned. Then again, you could abandon a burning building, right? That's good. You don't want to stand inside a burning building and say, well, I'm still thinking about the idea, Jason. I'm not really sure if I should leave or should I go. Should I stay or should I go now, right? The old 80s song, should I stay or should I go? Those of you that were born after the 80s, you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. That's okay. Abandon. But see, when we abandon unto Yahweh, as that first verse continues, abandon unto Yahweh. And your Bible probably reads, uh, abandon unto the Lord, or give thanks to the Lord. Who is the Lord? And we talked about that. He's the eternal God of Trinity, this personal creator God, who's Father, Son, and Spirit. He's the source and the wellspring of all goodness. That song that we sing in churches from time to time, Come thou fount of every blessing. 
That's God. That's Yahweh. He is the fount of every blessing. If you've been blessed and you have been blessed, you may not realize it, you may not have accepted it, but you've been blessed and all the good stuff comes from him. That's it. If it's good, it comes from him. And we went on. This word kessed, covenant loyalty, covenant fidelity, and it comes from God. It's this idea of who God is, Yahweh, that he's this God of everlasting, permanent love. That there's no length to which he wouldn't go to demonstrate his own love for us. And we see that perfected in Jesus Christ. Kessed. Redemption. Not just saved, but redeemed as we talked about in the Poetry Palace section, one of the little kids remembered the illustration from last week, taking those broken pieces of glass, assembling them, melting them together into that beautiful lampshade. And that light that was inside, that's Christ. And he illuminates in and through us his redemption. That that should be our declaration, our proclamation of who God is and what he's done. That he has redeemed us from, from what? From the power, the clutches, the grasp, the very hand of the sar, the enemy, the adversary that is Satan. He's gathered us together from distant lands, as we read in verse 3, from the east and the west, from the north and the south, from hopeless circumstances, from addiction, from fear, from anxiety, from darkness, from depravity and rebellion. That's what our God has done. And if you're sitting there this morning going, I guarantee you don't know him. Because when you think about the idea of who you were before Christ redeemed you and snatched you from the enemy's hand, you say, amen. It's good. That's my God. I knew who I was before, and I know who I am now. And there are people that walk up and they say, Kevin, you don't look the same. I'm not. I've been redeemed by Christ Jesus in and through the cross. He's gathered us together from all those distant places, every point on the compass, from wandering in verse 4. Wandering where? In desolate wilderness. No way into the city where we could live. That's the new Jerusalem we talked about last week. I told you, I'm not going to cover everything. you got to go back. We were starving and parched. Our spirits failed within us. And then we cried out. And what did God do? He burned us down into piles of ash. No, he didn't. He should have. He could have. But because of that kessed love, that covenant loyalty, that relentless pursuit of our God, the one that we sing to, holy, 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 there's no one like you. We would never even conceive of that kind of plan. You say, I don't know, I might. No, you wouldn't. The people that we love are very spouses. There are times when we despise them. And in our minds we picture, uh, we won't tell anybody that. Because they'll think that we're loony, but they're thinking it too. 
I know you are. Starving and parched, cried out to Yahweh, verse 6, in our dire straits, in those narrow places, doom and gloom. And God's response, he could have and he should have burned us all down, but nope. He delivered. He delivered them right to his doorstep. In verses 6 through 9, delivered right to his front door. He led them on the right way, the only way, the one way that is Christ. He satisfied and he quenched. And the people who get it, I can see it in their eyes. They're saying, yes, he did. He did that in my life. It resonates. Therefore, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, as the psalmist says the only appropriate response as he begins the psalm and he reiterates in verse 8, the only appropriate response is abandon everything. See, the idea of Christianity that we miss, the part that we blow is that we think we can dabble, right? We think that we can have one foot in the door of the world and then we can have one foot in the door of church and we dabble. We don't abandon unto either one. We don't abandon unto the world. We look down our noses at those people. You're doing what? And when it suits us and our self-righteousness, we look down. How could you, Vincent? How could you? How could he do that? But then when it suits us, right, we dabble in the world. When we're around those people, and we want to do that stuff, then it's okay. But then when we're around our church friends, we dabble. That's not abandoned unto Yahweh. What do you think would have happened if Noah dabbled? What do you think would have happened if Moses dabbled? What do you think would have happened if David dabbled? And he did for a little bit. But then he was convicted when Nathan came to him and said, You are that man. I repent, Lord. Forgive me. What if the Apostle Paul dabbled? Do you think there would have been all those mission trips and all those churches planted? Do you think he would have had the guts and the courage to stand before people and say, You do whatever you want to me. See, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to proclaim the gospel to the very ends of the earth and nobody but nobody is going to stop me. That's abandon. That's the only appropriate response. I want to ask you a question. Was it? Was it? Is that how it played out in your life this week? Was that your response? Was it your response? You were here last week, most of you, and the week before, and the week before, and you've heard the psalmist say it, the imperative verb, abandon unto Yahweh. You heard it. You heard it over and over 
And many of you even came up during the time of response and invitation. And the Lord was pulling on those heartstrings and saying, do it, abandon unto me. And for a moment you caught it and you said, yes. And then Monday came and you opened up your hands and you said, I think I'm just going to dabble. I think I'm going to go back into the world. I think I'm just going to wander over here. Jesus, you'll be there when I get around to it. You'll be there, right? Abandon unto Yahweh. It's easy to say when we look at the Israelites all throughout the story of the Old Testament, how could they have missed it? How could they have missed it with God in their presence? Manna falling from heaven, provision, the Red Sea, wiping out armies, the walls of Jericho, everything that God did. How could they have missed it? We say that from our pious and mighty high religious horse looking down. How could they have missed it? Back in those days, they didn't have the fullness of God's revelation. We do. They didn't have the word incarnate. They didn't see the fullness of Christ. We have. They didn't know about the cross. We do. They didn't know that the tomb would be empty that first Easter Sunday morning. And so I wonder... Are we really entitled to get up on that spiritual high horse and look at the nation of Israel? How could they miss it? How could we miss it? We say that he's our savior, that he's redeemed us, and almost as quickly as we say it, we wander back into darkness We dabble. What is your response? After everything Yahweh the Lord did, he heard, he responded, he redeemed, he gathered, he delivered, he led. He gave them a permanent place. He gives us a permanent place. Lavish, kessed love upon us, satisfies our hunger, quenches our thirst. What do we do with it? I want you to turn in your Bibles if you're not already there. Psalm 107, verse 8. The Bible that I have is the CSB. And they made a very interesting interpretive decision coming up in verse 10. It reads, others, others sat in darkness. Others sat in darkness. Instead of abandoning unto Yahweh, as it says right here in verse 8, instead of abandoning unto Yahweh for his kessed love, his extravagant works, lavished on all humanity, in verse 10, it says, you might want to put like a parenthesis in your Bible, 
Instead, dot, 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 they, not others, it's the same group. It's the same group of people. Instead, instead of doing what God compelled them to do, instead of that imperative verb to abandon unto Yahweh what they did, instead, you can see up on the slide here, they sat in darkness. And in the world of dread, your translation might read a little bit differently than that. Maybe it says in the shadow of darkness or in gloom. They sat in darkness and in the world of dread, prisoners of gloom and iron. That's verse 10. Prisoners of gloom and iron. If I was going to give a title to today's sermon, instead of it just being part four, it would be gloom and iron. After everything Yahweh had done for them, what He's done for us, what He's done for you, delivered us to His front door, Christ standing there, as the New Testament tells us, knock. And what's Jesus going to do? He's going to open the door. He's going to answer. God delivered us right to His front door but we're prone to wander. We're inclined to sit in darkness, the world of dread, to become self-imposed prisoners of gloom and iron. I shared with those kids during Poetry Pals, that children's sermon, that this is poetry. I'm not just talking about the place where this physical structure is. We are in Poetry, Texas, which is pretty cool. And we are in Psalms, which are songs that are poetry. And what I shared with the kids and what I was sharing with all of you is sometimes the words don't mean what the words mean. It's poetry. It's a bigger picture. It's supposed to elicit a response. It's supposed to capture your heart and your mind. Lift your eyes heavenward unto God. That's what it's supposed to do. It's not about sitting down and seeing how many times you can read Psalm 107, how quickly you can get through it. Hey, honey, time me. Connor, time me. I'll time you. Let's see how fast we can get through it. Y'all realize that's what the Pharisees did? I got it memorized. I can say it upwards, backwards, sideways, forwards. I can say it with a blindfold on. But do you know what it means? I don't know what it means. But I got it down, and I can do it in under 30 seconds. So what? If it's not something that causes your heart to be filled, elated, spilling over with joy, that's why I've been preaching from this psalm for so long. God has captivated my heart with this psalm. I love it. I want to write a book about it. I want to do a short video about it. I want to stand on the mountaintop and I want to call out to everyone, God loves us. Abandon unto Yahweh. And nothing's going to stop me. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people, thank you, church, for your support and your faithfulness across the globe have listened to sermons from this little church here in poetry. Over 6,000 just this last week. That isn't me tooting my horn. That's not even me tooting our horn. I'm saying thank God. Because there are people in countries that are in gloom and iron. 
sitting in darkness, and the gospel is getting out. And it's because of our faithfulness, our thankfulness unto God. Praise Him. That word in Hebrew, in verse 10, in the CSB it says, prisoners in cruel chains. The translation of that word chains really shouldn't be chains. It's not plural. It's singular. And it doesn't mean chains. It means iron. And it doesn't even mean iron. As I shared with those kids, it's this idea, it's a metaphor, it's a picture of the thing that they're chasing after, chasing after technology, the newest, the biggest, the brightest, more pixels, more resolution. It's got to be bigger, newer, and improved, right? It's got to be better. The NSV chains, the NLT chains, the ESV irons, the NASB chains, the BSB chains, the CSB chains, the NET Bible chains, the King James 2000 chains. I don't think there was any sabotage intended But the people who did those translations, they forgot that it's poetry. In bondage and in darkness, choosing not to sit in the city, the new Jerusalem, the front doorstep that God delivered them to, and instead they turned around and then they walked away back into darkness in the pursuit of technology. We want to be like all the other nations around us. That's what they said. That's what they wanted. But the King James Version, the Young's Literal, the ERV, the Darby, the Brenton Septuagint, the ASV, the JPS, and a couple of other Bibles, they did a good job. It's not just Pastor Kevin if you're sitting there going, boy, he takes some liberties. That Pastor Kevin guy, he takes some liberties with the Bible. I'm not too sure about him in this church. I'm not too sure about him. Well, I've got these other ones that back me up. It's singular. It's iron. And because it's poetry, it's a metaphor. It's a picture of something bigger than just the metal. It's our pursuits of idolatry. We're idolaters. We want those idols, right? And we all say, no, not me, not us. What are the things that you've been staring at in your Amazon cart this week? Oh, I got to have it. I got to have that new thing. They got the new edition. Honey, make the plea to the spouse. Honey, please, if I sell a kidney, I think we can afford it. If we give away one of the kids, I think we can afford it. And Connor's sitting there going, not me. Make it one of the girls. Don't make it any of us, he said. Iron. Iron, iron, iron. It's poetic language. It's about technology. Newer, cooler, bigger, faster. Improve, stronger, brighter, lighter. More resolution. More coverage. More distance. Better results. Abandon unto iron, we say. We would never do that, don't we? But don't we? I wonder if we pursued Christ with the same passion and the same fervor that we pursue the things of the world. And we're not even completely sold out on that. 
But yet somehow, Jesus still seems to take a back seat. What if, what if, what do you think would happen? What do you think would happen to the world if we truly abandoned unto Yahweh? It's not a mystery, right? Jesus had 12 guys. Oops, 11. 11 guys, then back up to 12, and they rocked the world. The reason why you know about Jesus today is because they took his imperative command, disciple, not make disciples. It's an imperative command, disciple. I'm not making a suggestion. It's not a good idea. I'm not saying go out and buy a book and sit around in groups and talk about it. Do it. Disciple, get after it. Let's talk about what that means to me. What does disciple mean to me? What did it mean to Jesus? It meant that he gave up his life at the cross and that we're supposed to be conformed into his image. Are you dabbling? Have the scales been ripped away from your eyes? What are you doing about it? Are you living it? I pray that you are. What tactic did the serpent use in Eden? Genesis 3, 4, and 6. You can turn there if you want. I'm just going to do a quick summary. I'm not quoting word for word. Serpent's telling Eve when she says, Well, God said, if I touch it, surely I'm going to die. And the serpent responds, You're not going to die. In fact, you'll become like God. You're going to be better than God. You're going to be God 2.0, Evie baby. You're going to be God 2.0. You're going to put him to shame. Make up a mind for yourself. You don't need him. You don't need what he thinks is right and wrong. Don't be such a prude. Don't be so stifled. Live a little. What does it say that she did? She saw the fruit was good. God's the one who decides what's good. She saw the fruit was good, and it was pleasant to look at. You all realize that's what the adversary does? We sit back and we lust with our eyes over technology, over a man or a woman, over something other than God. She decided it was pleasant to look at. On the surface, on the exterior, it looked pretty good. So what did she do? It was desirable for wisdom, so she seized it. She didn't just kind of pluck it casually. She seized it off that tree, and she didn't just eat it. She she devoured it. If that's what that thing does, i got to have it in me. See, it paints a completely different picture than to sit there and say with these dry, stuffy words, she took some and she ate it with her pinky out. And she was sure to use her knife and fork. She seized it and she devoured it. And the seeds and the juice were running down. Yes! And it says that her husband was there with her and he did the exact same thing. What's God's response? It's the same in Psalm 107 as it was in Eden. And it's the same today. It's the same today. Kessed love, covenant fidelity, faithfulness. Verse 11, it says, 
they, the same group that God did all of that for, says that they rebelled. And then what did God do? Once again, God was faithful. They despised him. They rebelled against his word, his commands, his revelation against God himself. They despised not just his counsel, as it says, that if you despise the counsel of God, what does that really mean? You despise God. I don't want your counsel. Don't you tell me what to do, mom, dad. Don't tell me how to live my life. I'm old enough. I'm 12. I know what's going down. I know how to run the world. Good luck with that, champ. I didn't figure it out until I was about 48. And I'm still a little, as you can talk to my wife, she's like, he's still a little sketchy. Still a little sketchy. But at least I'm humble enough to know that I don't have it figured out. They rebelled against God. They despised the Most High. He broke their spirits. Y'all realize that our God is not a God who's a cosmic enabler? So many people out there want to think, well, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He's a wrathful God. He's an angry God. He's a God of kessed love. If Psalm teaches you nothing else, it should teach you that God is pursuing you over and over and over and over again. And there is no length. Can y'all say that with me? There is no length to which he wouldn't go. And he proved that. Six hours, hanging on a cross, blood and his very life poured out. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. It's the same God, folks. If he didn't pursue us then, then Jesus would have never came. He broke their spirits because he's a God who's involved and invested. He's a pursuer. He's faithful. He's relentless. And he gave them hard labor to open their eyes and to turn those hardened stone hearts into hearts of flesh. That's our God. That's our Redeemer, our Deliverer. Amen? And what did they do? They stumbled and they cried out again. And God listened again. And he delivered again. And he brought them out again. And he broke their chains. And now it really is chains. It's a different Hebrew ver- or word, noun. I said verb, but I meant noun. It's a different Hebrew word. It's chains. And it's plural. He broke their chains. He busted down those bronze gates and he cut through those bars of iron again. And he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. And he's going to do it again. And you can make the decision that you want to turn your back on him. You can. But in the afterlife, nobody, nobody is going to get to say, I didn't know. I did not know. As Paul says in Romans 1, when we look out at the beauty of creation, God has revealed his invisible qualities. All are without excuse. Therefore, verse 15, let them abandon unto Yahweh. He says it again and again and again. 
Let them abandon unto Yahweh for his kessed. That's his covenant love, his fidelity, his extravagant works, lavished. We have a God who is a God of extravagant love, amen? He's a God who loves to lavish his love upon us, amen? That's who he is. It's not just what he does. He does it because that's who he is. He lavishes love, not just on a few people, not just on the Israelites, not just on a select few. He lavishes love on all humanity. You have the opportunity to respond. If you've never known, if you've never done that, if you've never said, Jesus, not asking him into your heart, but calling out to him and say, God, I've been sitting in gloom and iron. I've turned my back on you. I've lived my whole life that way. And I don't want to dwell there. I want to dwell in your presence. I want to be where you are, God. Then make that your prayer this morning. He can deliver you. He proved it at the cross. Therefore, let them, let me, abandon everything. Not to dabble. Not to play church on Sundays but to abandon unto Yahweh. How will you respond?